Present Tense Podcast. Hi there. It's Anne Markham Bailey, the producer and host of Present Tense Podcast. In episode 10 of our series, The Fight for Alabama's Last Wild Places, I interview Vince Molesky. Vince grew up in Kingston, New York, the gateway to the Catskill Mountains, and he spent many summers camping in the Catskills. He graduated from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in Troy, New York, with a Bachelor of Mechanical Engineering. He worked in the appliance industry and retired from Americold AB Electrolux in Cullman, Alabama, after 31 years in positions in engineering, manufacturing, and quality. His love of the Catskill Mountains, where he grew up, led him to the Bankhead National Forest in North Alabama, where he hiked and became a volunteer with Wild Alabama. In June 2000, he was hired as the Wild Alabama bookkeeper. He then became program director and worked on the Joint Liaison Committee alongside the U.S. Forest Service on the restoration plan for the Bankhead National Forest. Just a note that you can learn more about the series, Wild South, and the men and women who fought to save the Bankhead National Forest in North Alabama through our website, greenbucketpress.com backslash present-tense-podcast. There are photos, documents, maps, and more. And if you haven't listened to our other nine episodes of this series, you can do so on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And now for the episode... Excuse me, uh, Vince Molesky. Um, when I retired back in 1998 from working with a company in Coleman, Alabama, I started coming over to Bankhead Forest, found out about uh, Wild Alabama, and started going on some of their hikes. And within a couple of years, uh, Bob Maples or Bob Crow uh, invited me to get involved with Wild South and said they were looking for a bookkeeper one day a week. So I came over and I started being the bookkeeper one day a week. And then it turned out within three months I was program director 
Um, <laughs> but what happened was um, we were having these uh, Bankhead liaison panel meetings that were uh, pretty ruckus, I guess, raucous and wild and people yelling and screaming at each other. And uh, Lamar couldn't go to a meeting one night and he asked me to go. So I went and we had a uh, pretty quiet, peaceful meeting where we got some work done and made some things develop along the way we wanted to go. And what were the liaison meetings? Okay, it was between the Forest Service and the uh, local community. And we had local politicians, uh, Native Americans, uh, residents. Uh, and in reality, we had quite a few Wild South people on the panel. But the panel at that time was set up to be... Uh, developing or working on the final EIS for the restoration of the Bankhead Forest. And there was a lot of controversy about it. Uh, and what we did, we uh, I got involved with it. And most of the time I worked for Wild Alabama and Wild South, I was involved with the restoration. That was the biggest thing. And I, what's the EIS? Uh, environmental Impact Statement, mm -hmm. which uh, going back to... Uh, the Forest Service had developed a uh, management plan for the forest, which they are supposed to do every 15 years, and it usually takes longer. But they had developed that, and because of what uh, Wild Alabama had done in shutting the Forest Service down and their bad practices of timber management, they brought in a new supervisor for the state, and he was into restoration, also recreation, and not forestry really and so uh, they had developed a new management plan which was restoration oriented and then for the bankhead they developed this plan which are called the EIS but it's the restoration of the bankhead forest which was the ultimate goal was to eliminate the uh, Lavalley pine plantations and get the forest back to uh, habitat that used to be there. Now you weren't going to get back to what was really there originally, but the goal was you want to get back to forest types that there were. Um, so we were, um, I got involved with that, we worked with it, and... And you led a peaceful and productive meeting rather than a rowdy, well, rousing, no, we still had we still had some <laughs> some of that. And so, what was that though? What was the conflict? Oh, there was major conflict because many of the local people did not like Wild Alabama, or in particular Lamar Marshall, um, because he stopped the Forest Service, and I think it was stopped for like eight years from timber production. Uh, and as a matter of fact, there were death threats for Lamar and there were bad things. And so I came in when it was changing from the confrontation because basically while Alabama had won and we were going in a different direction. That's when I hit here and I got involved with where we were going. And um, so I worked there and we came up. Our goal was to develop the, the plan for what we're going to do and decide how we were going to define the forest. And we made it to the very last night 
and with uh, everything going the way we wanted it, the whole north end of the forest, we're going to have three areas, north end of the forest was going to be uh, hardwood, uh, oak hickory, uh, hardwood uh, with pine in there, and uh, then a band of shortleaf pine area and a band of longleaf pine which had been determined were parts of the bankhead at once upon a time. And uh, the very last night, somebody asked the question, well, what's this going to do to the deer population? And the guy from the conservation department, Ron Eeks, said, well, if you think the hunting's bad now, it's just going to get worse. Uh, so hey, well, what can we do about that? Um, so we, uh, the Forest Service, you know, which was coordinating, actually we had uh, outside uh, uh, coordinators, I forget what they, they were called, but we had outside coordinators in because the meetings had been so hot and heated, they had outside people coming in, facilitators, facilitating the meeting. Um, and uh, if, you, if you make it all hardwood forest, that's going to reduce the mass that's already there. It's, you know, it's, it just isn't going to work. It, it's not going to be good for deer. Well, what makes better deer hunting? Woodlands, spacing between the trees, let grass grow between the trees, uh, let dogwoods come up, let other trees come up. Uh, so that last meeting, and most, as a matter of fact, I think I was the only non-hunter on the... Uh, liaison panel that was working with the Forest Service and it, the whole panel just went wild. Well, we can't have that. We can't have that. And, and let me just ask you yep. something. For all of the for all the listeners, can you talk about the what the deer population means to the human population in this area? Well, why did everybody go crazy about because that? Because people and most of the liaison panel, they were all hunters, and they were deer hunters. Uh, you know, during the hunting season, they would hunt deer, and uh, they felt like there weren't enough deer here, and they wanted to do things that would get more deer, increase the deer population. Okay, the, the option was, and we had actually been looking at five different options uh, as to how to do the forest, and it was different percentages of these different areas that we'd come up with. And we, we were one, one night away from the decision where we would have, you know, what we thought was the best plan possible. Well, then they said you need more woodland if you're going to help the deer herd. So that night that was ob obvious, I would have been the one vote against <laughs> and everybody else on the panel. Uh, was for increasing the woodland. So uh, when we decided on the final plan, we had uh, the hardwood woodlands that we have in the management or in the program now for restoration. Uh, and then some people said, well, can we get more? Because there wasn't an option with more. And, uh, you know, and the Forest Service said no, because in order to have woodlands, you have to have uh, fire. Act, you know, regular fire control burning. And there just wasn't the capacity for burning anymore. They felt like they had got, that option was the most burning that you could have 
that they could manage and deal with. Uh, so we had to vote, and we went with the one that had heart, uh, so not the whole north part of the forest, but segments of it uh, that were in uh, hardwood woodland, which is spacing between trees rather than closer together trees in the forest. And so in the process of this planning, they actually go in and sort of reconstruct? Well, there, there's all kinds of different ways. Um, and where you're going hardwood, okay, everywhere you start by thinning the loblolly pines because the, the goal was to get rid of the pine plantations, which is what the Forest Service had been doing for years, was converting the natural for native forest or what had grown up here after it had all been clear cut, uh, but converting it into pine plantations. And so the method that, that we were doing in general was you go in and you thin a loblolly stand. And it was selected to do 15 to 45 year old stands and to thin them first. And, the, and I'm not bring, I forgot to bring up one of the early reasons was that Southern pine beetle epidemic in like 2000, around there, you know, you could almost see the pine beetles moving through the forest, just killing everything. Yeah. And so the Forest Service wanted to stop that. Everybody around here wanted to stop it. People that had plantations on their private land wanted to stop it. Nobody, you know, nobody wanted it. So that's where this restoration plan came from. And by thinning, you make the trees further apart and then the beetles can't jump from tree to tree when they're right next to each other. Um, and it was, um, I think, very successful over the years because I continue to check with the Forest Service on it as to how it's doing. And there have been very few areas where they have, uh, pine beetles have got into any areas that have been thinned. So if you're in a uh, hardwood area, you, uh, let the hardwoods come up. And if you go into Thinistan, you don't cut down any desirable hardwoods, or what, especially oak and hickory. Um, and then you let other hardwoods grow up because once you thin the trees out, then more sunlight comes in and rootstock and seeds that are in the ground start growing up the hardwoods. And so then you, in 15 years, you were to come back and thin it again, and maybe another 15 years then and again, you're taking out lavalli pines all the time. You're increasing really the value of the wood that you're taking out, and you're getting rid of the lavalli pine farms, and your desired future condition is hardwoods. Now, where it is uh, going to be a hardwood woodland, they would take a higher percentage of the lavallis out, which then just left what hardwoods were in there, uh, you know, became further even further apart and then start running uh, controlled burns through there to convert the undergrowth to the goal was uh, to develop grasses like you see in I guess you'd say South Alabama where you have where, where if you can get to where there is really uh, longleaf pine uh, then you can, that's what you're looking for spaces between trees with the grass. Now, in the example uh, cases of short leaf and long leaf, you have to have a different approach. And because most likely they're not gonna come up 
on their own because there's not enough seed stock or any, and all it was hardwoods. You took out the loblollies, so there aren't any, or very, there are a few, but there aren't many short leaves. So you'd thin it. Uh, when we had uh, blowdowns or tornadoes or something bad happened, or in the bug spots where they cut all the trees out of the bug spots to get rid of the bugs, then you could go in and plant short leaf in there. And so you have little areas of short leaf planted, and then the same thing's going to happen down the road. You, as they grew, you would thin them and get to the woodland situation with the grass between the trees. Same thing on the long leaf, and probably more so on the long leaf. Probably the hard or short leaf would be more foresty, and the long leaf would be spread apart. Uh, so it took advantage of opportunities when there was damage to the forest to put in short leaf or long leaf. And now in the most recent efforts, they're doing what they call, I believe, patch cuts, where they go in and they'll kind of pretty much do a clear cut in an area, a few acres, and then they'll go in and plant short leaf or long leaf in areas that are to be converted to short leaf or long leaf. But the short leaf and the long leaf were actually there sometime in the past? Yes, uh, at least the if you look at range maps for long leaf, the lower part of Bankhead was in longleaf pine uh, original ranges. And there are old pictures, I think, that show what looked like that there were whole areas of shortleaf pine here. And so the Forest Service was looking at it from getting three different forest types here to be a showcase that you could show what you could do with the forest that had been converted by them. Uh, to pine plantations and then try to go back. And our outlook was, if they're working on this, then they aren't just out cutting down trees everywhere, which is what they've been doing in the past and above and beyond what they were even supposed to be doing. As happened in Indian Tomb Hollow, which had never been cut. Um, it sounds like a real mess in Indian Yeah, Tomb and so, it, uh, now, I worked for Wild South for eight years, and I retired in January 2009. And it was either later that year or the year after we have a new supervisor, or not a new supervisor, a new ranger in the Bankhead District. Because Glenn Gaines, the ranger that was here that worked very diligently and was very serious about making, you know, restoring the forest, he left and actually went on to coordinate, I think, longleaf pine restoration in the whole southeast for the Forest Service. Um, <clears throat> but they brought a guy uh, in, uh, and I can't remember his name, his first name was Elrand. Denson. Elrand Denson. And uh, he and his silviculturalist were old school forestry people. Silviculturalists? Sil silviculturalists. Oh. That's people that... Uh, due to planning for forest management for the Forest Service. Now, she'd they, been... She, they were old school? Well, that's what I say. They want, you know, what we, I would call a timber beast, or they want to get the cut out. Uh, and the lady that was a silviculturalist had been working with us, and she's just doing along what she's told doing her job. Well, the new guy comes in, and he starts giving her different directions, and they made... Uh, some timber sales 
where some wild Alabama or maybe wild south by that time, I'm not sure the timing of it, uh, they uh, noticed that they're cutting down a lot of hardwoods, which you basically weren't cutting, supposed to be cutting hardwoods. So we investigated, we go up there uh, and find out, golly, they cut down more hardwoods than they cut down pine trees. And so I was retired and I came back just on my own time and spent quite a few meetings with Wild South, the Forest Service, and me there trying to get them back on the right path to what they're supposed to be doing because they'd immediately gone off in the wrong direction. And uh, uh, many meetings, many hours spent in Devil Springs discussing, arguing, talking, trying to convince them. And uh, finally- What was the reasoning? They're just managing the forest. That's their job, to manage the forest. And he was not, well, and one of the problems was the Forest Service, even though they have good pockets like what was happening in the Bankhead around the country, Forest Service still pretty much timber production oriented, get out to cut. Um, and so we had special people. Uh, the guy that was a supervisor over the whole state that brought this in, he, I asked him when he was leaving to go to another job, uh, you know, how did he do it? He says, I've hired 65 people since I've been here. He'd been here a few years. And he said, I never hired a forestry major. He hired biologists, naturalists, uh, ecology people, uh, recreation people. And so that's how he made the conversion in the whole state uh, to go in restoration. Now, over time, the Forest Service nationally has gone to restoration of a lot and not everything but a lot more than there used to be we were like a forerunner in what happened here back to these meetings with the forest service they would uh we argue and discuss and try to get the message across and finally one day i just said you know the whole eis the restoration pro, pro project program is all too get rid of the loblollies and get back to natural, for or as close as you can to old forest. And, and the, the one young guy that was in the meeting who was in charge of timber sales, he says, nobody ever told me that. Okay, but it's in the document that this thick that we worked for years to develop. <laughs> but anyway, they got no plan, no way to transfer What's going on today to the new people that come on? And the Forest Service is turning over people all the time. You know, people go to be a ranger somewhere. People go here, go there. New ones come in. And so the lady that had been the silviculturist, nobody had ever told her. She was just doing what her boss told her. Okay, so finally, once the light went on in the youngest guy in the whole operation place who was managing the timber sales, he... It was like you threw a light switch, and then all of a sudden, they said, "They said, oh!" And so then I guess they went back and maybe read what they were supposed to be doing, and uh, then it got back on track. And so now we're several more rangers since that time, and 
the guy they have that's a ranger now, uh, he came from Alabama A&M where he was teaching up there, and he's, he's interested, and I think from what I've observed of him, doing things in a, a right way to try to mm-hmm. continue on with that. But the program is years behind, mainly because ever since the plan was developed, the Forest Service has seen budget cut, budget cut, budget cut, budget cut. You know, so they have less and less money to do things, and so they actually do less. They have a lot of unfilled openings in in Forest Service in Devil Springs. And do they say that this is budget cut because they're not selling the timber out? Of- oh no 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 no! It's federal budget coming down from Washington. What what they're allowed to work with. Now, in the forest, local people here have done amazing things on ways to uh, generate funding to do the work that they're doing. Um, part of my job was to write comments on projects when they would write up their paperwork and then you comment on what they're doing. And, I, and they always had in there and to avoid catastrophic wildfires. And so, what, okay, but that's why they're thinning, and that's the way, out west, that's how you have to do it. By thin, you know, we have these horrible fires out west. But to prevent them, the Forest Service planted trees way too close together, and they've never thinned them, and they just let, and so when it gets burning, finally, they, and they suppress fire. But don't we have a lot of water compared to? Yes, we do. Okay, so I went, and I studied wildfires in the whole southeastern United States and came up with the percentage of fires that were uh, catastrophic. Hardly any, essentially none, mainly because, yeah, we're so moist here. And so one time I was talking to Glenn and he points out to me, you know, the reason we put that in there is because we can get money for work to prevent catastrophic wildfires and so he says that's how we're funding a lot of this stuff we're thinning which you do to prevent catastrophic wildfires we're doing controlled burns which you do to present or prevent catastrophic wildfires but you never have them here or essentially don't ever have them you know we had a fire in Mississippi a few years ago but it wasn't catastrophic it was a slow burning small fire and that's not managed. That's unmanaged in the wilderness. And he says, that's how we get our money. So I stopped commenting on that, on that. Then, because they were using it to get money yeah. to do the job. And so the, the local people here in the Forest Service did a lot of things to generate money by doing this way and doing, th- you know, manipulating things to make it happen, which uh, I think that's great. That shows that we were working with them. They were working with us in uh, yeah, so the relationship has really changed since the early 90s, it seems like. Yes, definitely. And one of the things I got to do when I worked for Wild South was we belonged to the National Forest Protection Alliance, which was uh, made up of groups like us all over the country. So it was all little wild Alabamas and wild Souths getting together, and they'd have an annual convention. And so they got wind of what we were doing here, and they asked me to come speak. Well, most of these people were no cut. That was 
the position of the environmental or forest protection You're community for no cut, you don't cut down a tree. And so here I am, I'm going to, and their approach to the Forest Service is confront the Forest Service, fight them every step that you do. And uh, so I had to go speak. And the first time I went was to a meeting up in Ohio. And I was a little anxious or nervous because uh, they're either going to throw eggs at me or maybe even rocks or something, you know, because here I'm talking about how we work with the Forest Service. We developed a plan uh, to restore, theoretically restore uh, the bankhead uh, and to definitely eliminate the pine, Lava Lolly pine plantations. And I'm going up there to most of, where most of these people are no-cut oriented. And they just listened to me, and I got a mild reception, I guess. Um, a year later, I went to another meeting, and a guy from Idaho came up to me and said, we've been trying some of that stuff you recommended to uh, collaborate with the Forest Service, pick some easy projects where they're not controversial, and he says, we're finding out that we can come together and do things, collaborating. And um, I think over time, the Forest Service has gone much more from timber production uh, to more forest restoration because they realize they've ruined a lot of the forests with what they've done uh, in in the approach they're taking to plant all these plantations to get a monoculture. If you get a bug or a disease, it can just go through the whole thing and kill all kinds of stuff. The fires, fire suppression. And I think over time, it's really changed the outlook in the Forest Service on a national level. And we saw it go from being very antagonistic, which is the way it had been here, uh, and it, ha it has to be that way, I believe, at times. Uh, what Lamar Marshall and Wild Alabama did had to be done. You had to hit them in the side of the head to wake them up to see the error of their ways or whatever. And I think what's happened here has been very successful. But there's problems. The Forest Service changes people so often. The continuity, somebody's got to keep up. Why and is that? Big national organization. You get working in Move Double Springs, around. Alabama. Do you want to be in Double Springs, Alabama? So they don't like Not everybody likes from it. the population and then educate some, them? Some, but if they don't have somebody locally to do the job, they bring somebody in from elsewhere. And so people come and go all the time. Uh, a bit like the naturalist now in Double Springs, Allison Cochran. She's local, and she's been here for – she's been through – the whole process. She is the only person left, I guess, because uh, I'm gone. Uh, Mark Kalinsky's gone. Uh, and Mark really didn't get involved until after I retired. And then he was forced into it because somebody had to, you know, had to do the work. But then he became involved. And uh, actually, when I was talking about dealing with the Forest Service over when they went back to cutting hardwoods, Mark was in, it was Mark for a while, South and myself, and then the Forest Service people. Wow. So, and then uh, what 
I don't know if anybody else has mentioned, but we had uh, Ray Vaughn and Wild Law. But between uh, Lamar Marshall and Ray Vaughn, they are the ones that really, uh, in my opinion anyway, and I, I don't know the old history because I wasn't around, uh, but what they did with the Forest Service to turn them around and to get Alabama turned around uh, were, was good work. And uh, Ray was phenomenal in, his, in what he did for not just Wild South or Wild Alabama and Alabama. He was all over the Southeast, and then he went on to Washington and I think did a lot of good up there also. And probably played a role in getting the Forest Service to lean towards trying to collaborate more with local people instead of battling them. So has the population calmed down? Oh, yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, um, even when I was working, the main thing you were getting at a meeting was uh, updates on what was happening rather than any confrontational stuff because once the plan was developed and the local people realized that it wasn't going to hurt them that it might help them that it might be good for the area I think all the controversy went away we had a spell at one time um, where a property rights group came in and just fired up local people all over Winston and Lawrence County a property rights group what? That's right. Um, they, they didn't want the government doing anything with the land. And they also felt like there was this big plan to take all, tie together all the national forests and a lot of other preserved lands and stuff all throughout the southeast. They were going to keep people out of there is what they told the people here. Um, and they're just going to ruin everything for everybody. And a lot of people totally bought into it. And in the end, they finally went away just because it became obvious that what, what was going on was not going to damage things locally, that what they said wasn't going to happen and isn't happening. And, and they just kind of they came in for a few months, really stirred up a lot of trouble in the meetings. This is when we had the facilitators with us, and uh, and then they went away when they saw that it wasn't like they said, or people stopped doing. But now it's I think it's probably more recreation. The liaison panel is more recreation oriented than uh, the restoration because they have meetings where they don't even talk about. Uh, the EIS or the, the plan for the forest. So was the plan implemented? No. Oh, it. Well, at the time, at the at the no. It really. I don't think it's changed significantly. It. Uh, at the time, it was looking like maybe 60, 70 years, but now it's, it'll be over a hundred years before you ever get to the end. My fear is that they won't keep working keep doing it um, and go back to harvesting hardwoods or whatever. Do you have any favorite um, stories of being in the forest? 
there's a spot over there that the first time I ever got there, it was going to the big tree coming up White Oak Hollow. Um, and you come up and you cross over. There's a Forest Service trail. You go down a trail a little ways, and then you head back down. And you go down towards the tree, uh, but you, you get to a point where you're on a bluff, and it's like this gorge and it's totally overgrown with trees. And so, to me, it was like being in a green cathedral. And that's one place I always remember about the Bankhead. And there was lots of other places because I took a lot of pictures out here, you know, waterfalls and rocks. And, but that's probably the most one that got to me. It just did something to me inside when I got there. And so I've been back several times and it, does the same thing pretty much each time. So now I get over here a couple times a year, <laughs> two, three times a year, going to hike with Janice or uh, go on work days. But uh, I start off in January and do pretty good for a month or two <laughs> or three. And then it fades away because too many other things happen and are going on and I don't get over here. So if you uh, could offer advice to young people regarding fighting for wild places, what would you what would you offer? The most important thing I think is to get young people out, um, to get them out in the woods or out anywhere outdoors and involved in doing things, whether it's through summer camp or the Wild South hikes that they that uh, Wild South runs to get them out and to appreciate the outdoors. And it's extremely difficult. I, I know because I have three grandchildren and I'm a dismal failure at doing it uh, because it just isn't, they live in New Jersey. It is not on their priority list, uh, the outdoors. Uh, and so, the work that Wild South does now, getting families out, I think is the way to go. I'm a active, relatively active bird watcher and getting kids out to go bird watching, if you can get them out too, also makes them appreciate the outdoors. And if you can influence a child to uh, get into hiking, exploring in the outdoors, bird watching and they get hooked on that then you got somebody that's going to help fight the battles or stand up for things or contribute money to groups that do something about it and make them want to understand but I'm just afraid that it's less and less and less a percentage of the population that really appreciates the outdoors but come over here and go to the Sipsy Wilderness and it's being loved to death. So that to me, in a way, is encouraging because that means there's a lot of people out there appreciating it. But then it tells me you need more places besides the wilderness because it's not big enough. And I think that's what Wild South tries to do is to get frequently get people out in the forest in areas besides the wilderness to let you know there's a lot of beautiful stuff out there too. Well, I still have a feeling in my heart for Wild South 
Bankhead Forest, wanting to protect nature, nature things. I still uh, belong to several organizations that work on that. I read up about it. I'm in a group at, uh, in Cullman that talks on political things. It's oriented towards politics in the country today, but I am the environmental reporter or person. So when I go to the monthly meetings, I try to pick up topics that I've seen, read about, or seen on television or whatever uh, that I think are of informative to people. So I bring, so I still keep dabbling in it, but not full-time, part-time, part-time. Thanks to cellist Craig Hultgren for our theme music. Thanks to Janice Barrett of Wild South for assistance with this episode. Thanks to Farron Weeks and the White Horse Singers for the episode music. Please check out the episode support notes at greenbucketpress.com backslash present-tense-podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please subscribe, follow, and rate our show. Share it with your friends. And remember, we can change the world. Until next time.